Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, myself, going to break down Florida's win at Georgia on Saturday. We will also preview Florida's visit, or sorry, we'll preview Florida's home uh, return home game with Vanderbilt Wednesday night, SEC Network, 6.30 p.m. Uh, big one for Florida to continue the momentum ahead of the SEC Big 12 Challenge uh, next week when they'll play a really, really good West Virginia team. So uh, we'll talk about that. We're going to get into Florida attacking zone defenses, why Florida's pick and roll defense continues to concern us, and, and uh, just the spectacular play of Florida's guards. That and a bunch more. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, Gators cap off a uh, 2-0 week with a, uh, I don't know if it was a, I guess it was a comfortable win over Georgia, at least uh, after the first four minutes of the second half. Yeah, I mean, uh, at Gator Country, I, I, I think I headlined it, uh, that the Gators held on to win. And I, I, I realized that that title did not did not totally paint a fair picture. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, it was really tight for, for 20 minutes. Um, and Florida was leading as much as as much as 17 in a game they ended up winning by eight. So uh, maybe not a true, you know, hang on. I, I do agree with you. Ultimately, it was a comfortable win where um, they did have a comfortable lead for most of the second. Um, but yeah, definitely not a particularly glamorous win though it was though it was comfortable i don't think that anyone saw the gators and and thought to themselves uh, that they were playing super great or, or anything by any means uh but hey they they still found uh still found a way to win comfortably yeah i think let's start with that let's just start with rather than going half by half let's start with what you and i were texting each other kind of during the game which I thought was a little different than what we were getting from Dan Dockage on the broadcast and what I was seeing on Twitter. Like, I didn't think this was a particularly great performance by Florida. Uh, and I, I was certainly not impressed with them in the first half. Your thoughts? No, I, I really wasn't impressed. And, and what Neil is kind of alluding to, uh, what we were texting about was, uh, I thought that Florida really won this game just truly because of their talent level. Like this was a game where it just seemed like the two best shot makers on the floor were Tyree Appleby and, and Trey Mann. Uh, the two best playmakers on the floor were Tyree Appleby and Trey Mann. And there was times where uh, it was not very crisply uh, designed plays to get Colin Castleton the ball, but he kind of, uh, was able to wrestle it in traffic and then he just finished over George's front court because he was four inches taller than everyone and then there was some bad possessions where where Anthony Deruji just jumped over top of everyone and got an offensive rebound so it, it was really a game where I don't think that Florida really out executed Georgia I, I don't think they played particularly well but they won comfortably because they are such a talented team and I, I mean I knew I threw this to you um through this to a couple podcasts ago, Neil, uh, during a, a little bit of a depressing podcast, talking about you know how much more talented is this team, even when Colin Castleton and Scotty Lewis are out and Keontae Johnson are out, versus some of these teams we've seen the last couple of years. And you know we both agreed that like man, this team even losing those guys is is more talented than than some of these past Gator teams that that perform decently in the SEC. And I just thought that was so apparent against uh, against Georgia, where um, I really don't think Florida played super well, but man, they just uh, they were. They were the the more talented. They were the taller. They were the longer. They were the more athletic team. 
Yeah, I thought they were. And, you know, it was just the game was kind of interesting to me. Like there were times where uh, it felt like a scrimmage um, just because how do I there's really not any way to say this respectfully. So I'm not I'm not going to try. Like Georgia is terrible on defense. Terrible. And Florida got so much space. Uh, to operate offensively that Georgia really didn't have a, a chance. And then they also are small and didn't have much of a chance to compete with Florida down low. So when Florida was in their offensive stuff, it really seemed like kind of a glorified practice. Well, there was a lot like, like Florida has ran a few plays where they throw it into the post and then, and then run something off of it. Uh, whereas in this game, there was a lot of just straight up, let's throw it to Colin Castleton one-on-one and, and let him go to work and, and use, use his, uh, use his length, use his touch. That's, that's super good. And, and there was a lot of that. And then, you know, the other thing that I, I actually thought you were about to say this when you were talking about uh, uh, no real respectful way to put it. I mean, man, there was some possessions where Florida was playing some, some Sunday night pickup ball uh, transition defense where guys were just jogging back. And, um, yeah. you know, everyone who's played pickup knows that there's always the one guy on the floor who's willing to sprint in transition when everyone else is, is, is jogging. And there was a couple of times where Georgia had the guys that, that had the energy to sprint. Florida was jogging back and then they got layups. So, so some of that was, uh, was kind of what made it feel like a, like a pickup game at times. And, and, and like you said about Georgia, I mean, uh, defensively in the half court, they kind of, they, they, they mucked it up. And I mean, I think that's a, they did well to do that when you're not the more talented team. That's what you want to happen is, is play some zone. That's maybe not technically great, but is just a little bit confusing. And you kind of lazily sag off at times and, and teams are just not really prepared to, to handle it. It's, it's tough to simulate these kind of like lazy sagging zones in, in practice. And um, obviously it took, it took Florida a good amount of time to, to figure it out. Yeah, and I didn't even get into to the zone yet. I just kind of was referencing when they didn't come out in zone. They're they're very bad defensively. They were much they were much better when they tried to employ some zone. It was predominantly a two three zone, and that's kind of where our coach's corner can begin. Is we had the question from Sarah in Tampa. She said, "I read your tweet about Florida being so good in." Uh, zone defense, or attacking zone defenses with Andrew Nimhart and Keontae Johnson. Why was that? And what do you try to do when attacking a zone defense? And I thought, this is a great uh, coach's corner question. So we always get the, the best questions from Sarah, and we'll, we'll tee those two up for Eric here. <laughs> uh, I would say the number one thing you want to do when you want to attack a zone, and this is a term that I always use um, with the team I coach in high school, is you want to distort a zone. Um, you want them to get out of their base. Like a, every team has that, that play zone. There's a, there's an alignment they want to be in, whether it's two, three or three, two or one, three, one. And there's, there's spaces they want to be on the floor where the ball moves to one spot and they're perfectly in the gaps. They're perfectly in help side and they stack the strong side of the floor and make it tough to drive. Every defense that plays zone has their ideal idea of what their zone looks like. And you want to distort it. You want it to, uh, you want people in the zone to have to move uncomfortably and get to play places they don't feel they don't feel comfortable in so so the number one thing that i'm always looking for when attacking in zones is, is how do you distort it 
it and and make the defense go out of out of what they want to play. So of course Dan Dockich on the uh, on the uh, broadcast uh, screaming about Florida having someone in the high post. That's definitely a, a time honored way of uh, of attacking a zone defense. Um, you put a guy right in the middle of that two three. That's where uh, uh, that's usually a, an open point in the two three zone, and and it also draws away the uh, you know traditionally the center, the guy playing the middle of the the bottom line of the defense. Uh, it'll draw him out. Um, that's something you want to look to do. But uh, but yeah, I, I I think that Florida was so successful these these last couple of years because they didn't have a lot of guys that were really great at making plays off the dribble. But there were guys that were good passers, like a Scotty Lewis, who's not great at passing live. Like li- he's not a great live dribble passer. He's a good passer. Keontae Johnson, not a great live dribble passer, uh, but a good passer when his when his feet are set. And of course, Andrew Nemhard is good of a passer as there is in the country. So I think that when teams played zones against Florida last year, uh, they were able to use their great passing ability without being limited by their limited ball handling ability. Um, so, uh, so again, I, I would say you look at this, uh, you, you look at this year's team, what, what Florida put out there. Um, you know, I think Trey Mann is a, is a good passer. I don't think he's a great passer. Um, I do think Tyree Appleby is a, is a fantastic passer. Um, but against zones, passing often turns into, you need a little bit more length and, and size to, to get, get around, to make the angles, to get around the, the wall put up by the defense. And then, uh, yeah, so, so I thought that Florida just, uh, also the way they spaced the floor, um, maybe not super conducive to, to attacking a two, three zone. And in, in my opinion, um, the other thing too, about a two, three zone, and I know I'm rambling here, I'll throw it back to you soon, Neil, but the thing about a two, three zone is, um, every zone in especially two, three and, and Syracuse is obviously the, the king of this, uh, Syracuse knows just exactly how much they can extend their zone, um, based on, uh, based on who they're playing. And, and the goal of a two, three zone is always to protect the hoop number one. And then you essentially extend it as far as you can while still being able to protect the hoop. And, um, if you're, uh, if you're a team that, that struggles to do that, you're going to see teams really pack it in with a two, three. Uh, but then you see teams like Georgia who are able to really extend out, uh, and, and get out to shooters while also protecting the rim. And that's when a zone is most effective. I mean, everyone knows that you play zone, um, you protect the rim, but you might be giving up so open three-pointers. When Georgia is able to, to stretch it out as much as they were, they were able to defend the three-point line as well. Yeah, no, I thought that that's, uh, well, that, those are some great explanations. I guess the, the one thing I would say, in addition to just Johnson and Nimart's passing ability to answer the first portion of the question, is that, you know, that time-honored way that the dockage kept yelling about is something that that's just a spot where Keontae Johnson is devastating too. Um, so, you know, certainly his skill set, both as a passer and as somebody who can attack uh, the basket and then find people on the kickout uh, is something that, that made Florida really, really good in that spot. And to be fair, Kerry Blackshear, very comfortable receiving the ball at that high elbow too. I just didn't uh, include him in the, in the tweet. And I think Florida tried to move Castleton out there, but he was, he was getting a little higher than I think you'd like your guy to be uh, when Florida was doing that. But I think some of that had to do with like the ability of, of Trey Mann and Tyree Appleby to get into the middle of it, which ultimately is what they did to kind of loosen the grip is get in the middle of it and then find Noah Locke in the corner for, for some timely uh, three pointers. Yeah, there's kind of two ways too about getting the ball to the middle. Of of course, uh, Florida was was kind of you know you vacate the middle, you allow your guards to maybe have the opportunity to drive there, and then if it's not, then you flash someone um, into the high post and hope you can get a pass in there. Uh, the the problem with that is. Uh, 
a defense really has to just guard essentially a cutter for a couple of seconds while he flashes to the high post. And if it's nothing, if it's not there, um, then they've got to, they've got to clear out again to, to reset the play versus a lot of zone offenses. You see where someone is just permanently parked in the high post. And if the defense ever relaxes, then you get it into the high post and suddenly you're cooking. So, so yeah, there's, there, there's some merits to both. I know that like, again, Dan Dockich absolutely hated the fact that Florida didn't have someone just posted up in, in the high post and uh, pressuring Georgia's defense that way. Um, something that would have done certainly is it, it it would have not allowed Georgia to extend as much as they did. Um, right. So that would have been helpful. But on the other hand, um, you're suddenly totally taking away Tyree Appleby and Trey Mann's ability to drive. And that was something I would have um, enjoyed talking to Dan Dockich about had I had the opportunity to explain to him that, um, you know, you put, you put someone in the high post like that. Well, you know, there, there, there's nothing for your guards to, to drive into. And Florida is a team who they're two best offensive players. Um, I, in my opinion, are Tyree Appleby and Trey Mann. And I think when you're attacking his own, it's um, how do you uh, how do you best uh, best those put those guys into position to succeed? And I think that that's uh, making sure that they have a place to drive to. And and ultimately, uh, ultimately, they they wore him down and, and got to the uh, got to that spot and made some plays like you talked about. Yeah. And I mean, they also. The reason I wasn't as worried about it on rewatch uh, this morning was was to Eric's point. You know, I do think those are Florida's two best offensive players. And then we've talked a lot about what Noah Locke is super comfortable doing. And it was much more of that yesterday um, than what some teams have forced him to do, which is put the ball on the floor and, and make plays uh, off the bounce. Yeah, it was really, yeah, it was really Trey Mann and, and Tyree Appleby doing all the ball handling, and that's something, uh, something I think you like to see. I just think that Noah Locke, you, you look at Noah Locke, sixteen points, and that's awesome. He did it rather efficiently, um, and uh, you you look and just you know you try to think about oh did he get into any of those positions where uh uh where he got himself into some trouble? I um he did actually. Um, it was kind of funny in the first half. Uh, which I was not super plussed about, um, but well, we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> everyone was, of course, calling for the Colin Castleton and Omar Payne lineup together, which, uh, you know, everyone is tweeting at me because they knew I would be uh, be a fan of that as well. Um, and then they finally did get in, and uh, the lineup was Omar Payne and Colin Castleton in the front court, and then there was Trey Mann and Tyree Appleby, two very skilled pick-and-roll ball handlers, and then Noah Locke. So naturally, the first play they call is a pick and roll for Noah Locke with uh, the two <laughs> best pick and roll players on the floor, um, spacing it out. Um, Colin Castleton ducks in like Florida's kind of too big. They're ducking ball, ball screens, gets a real deep seal, and uh, Noah Locke tried to put it in there. Not a great passer. He threw it into the first row, um, and then uh, then they subbed out that lineup. And I was a little bit disappointed that I was like, "Oh, you're you're subbing out the two bigs because obviously you turned the ball over, but it was it was nothing they did. It was because you ran a pick and roll for Noah Locke while you had Trey Mann and Tyree Appleby on the floor." <laughs> um, so, so again, there's, there's still were some moments like that for, for Locke, but I mean, on, on the whole, I mean, you, you put him in positions where he finishes plays with a three point attempt. I love that he had 10, three point attempts. I think any yeah. game where you get 10, three point attempts from, from Noah Locke. That's amazing. He hits four threes, obviously, um, 1.2 points per possession when he catches and shoots. And man, he got some open ones that I, I'm sure Noah Locke would love to play that game again because there's definitely universes where I think he hits six or seven of those threes, not just four of them. So, uh, but but even but even even without that, only hitting four of them, four for ten, uh, man, I would take that every night from Noah Locke. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, that. That's what you want, like you said. You reference the points per possession, and and anytime Noah's taking half your three point attempts as a team, that's that's probably a good night for the Gators, to be honest. Um, uh, 
Florida shot the ball really well, but but they did scuffle with the with the zone in the first half uh, to some extent. And I thought in the second half we already referenced sort of Florida's guards being the big difference, but but let's expand on that a bit, Eric. I thought a game where you really saw not just the talent of Florida's guards, but the fact that maybe for the first time in the Mike White era, Florida has multiple guards who can create their own shot and score, um, you know, just sort of natural scorers uh, in man and Appleby. Uh, I, I don't think that's a maybe. I think that's a certainly. Uh, the only <laughs> thing I, I guess that you would say close to that would be like, when Jalen Hudson was, was, was hot the one season, as well as like, like Kayvon Allen, who had slightly better off the dribble three point numbers than, than you'd expect. But uh, I don't think he got well, I don't think he got into the hoop well enough whatsoever to be kind of in that range. So, so I think this is undoubtedly the the two best, you know, the two best off the dribble scores that, uh, that Florida's had. And uh, man, once again, I mean, it just seems like like Florida. I don't think executed particularly well um, within their within their set offense, uh, and they had a really good offensive night. And uh, again, I just think that if we were to look at this team the last couple of years, if they weren't scoring within the structure of their offense, uh, man, there was just some some dry nights because if if possessions ended with an Andrew Nemhart isolation or a Noah Locke isolation or a double teamed Kerry Blackshear post isolation, uh, those just those just did not go well for the Gators. I have plenty of numbers to back it up, and everyone's eye balls will will match that as well so uh so you look at what trey man did oh man he was just cooking guys like his ability to shoot off the dribble it just it, it opens everything up because you see teams that are having to sit on that step back that he could pull at any moment and um and, and tyree appleby who can just sprint into shots and, and hit them off balance or um if he gets a defender leaning can cross it over and take it the other way it's just it's it's so fun to watch and um i just think this game against georgia was just a perfect example of when um when your offense is, is not going particularly well, you're struggling to figure things out against a zone and you still put up a good amount of points and, and do it efficiently. And uh, it was largely because of those two guards. Yeah, no, it really was. And, and, and of course, Locke uh, being the, the option when they were able to get into the lane uh, and hitting a bunch of shots. But, but you know, you, you're really looking at a Florida team that, that has two special guards that can create. And there's, you know, the minutes are starting to reflect that too. With Trey Man played 39 minutes uh, yesterday, coming off the uh, the we were worried that he would play at all. I guess he was fine because certainly one of his best games as a Gator, and he flashed a little bit as a passer. Uh, he had five turnovers, which I'm sure will frustrate him. He also had a couple of of sensational passes. Uh, one. Uh, bounce pass in the low post to Castleton that he kind of wrapped around a defender that led to a layup. And then obviously the uh, sports center highlight, uh, no look to pain on the alley-oop. Um, and then that, you know, packed that in with, with what we got from Tyree Appleby and that's seven of Florida's 14 assists. Yeah, I thought that um, that show just like great trust to to throw that no look um, little hook pass alley oop uh, that shows that a, a team that you know I talked about Florida not executing particularly well. Uh, well, there's a play where they definitely um, 
where they definitely uh, definitely executed really well because uh, that's Trey Mann trusting that the defense is going to react um, to the action they ran and that he can put it up to an area uh, that Omar Payne can grab it and no one else can. So so that was definitely that was definitely great execution. And um, I even thought too, uh, you know, obviously those guys were getting the the bulk of it, but um, but Colin Castleton chipping in three assists and and they were really nice, you know, big to big, uh, which again is another thing about when uh, uh, when you do put the two bigs together as well as you know Sio Sifo with another with another good game and he was the benefactor of uh, of a nice kind of inside uh post to post pass from castleton um but yeah like you said I, I think it's all about uh it's all about trey man and 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 uh and tyree appleby which again i thought appleby had like more assists than he did just the way that he was seemed to be seemed to be pressuring the pressuring the defenses but uh yeah i i think too you, you think about the fact that that scotty lewis is a, is a pretty good passer not in the range of those guys because he lacks the ability to to pass off a live dribble um but whenever he gets back you're you're gonna have some some distribution and um it's it's definitely nice where there were there were seasons where uh whether it was chris chose or then andrew nemhard and and those guys were were great assist players but then it just dropped off like a rock like you just had no secondary playmaking from from anyone else on the roster and uh, now you're just not surprised to see when tari appleby has a few assists you're not surprised to see if colin castleton from the post has a few assists or uh, scotty lewis has had some multiple assist games and um yeah i just i i just think it's far more conducive to uh to modern basketball where there were teams that were just freezing out andrew nemhard's ability to uh, uh ability to make plays because they knew that if the ball got reversed florida didn't have other playmakers um well if you got trey man and, and tyree appleby out there um you're always going to have two guys that can make a play yeah you are and florida did a nice job of the other thing that florida did i thought well in terms of when they did execute was this was less about sets and more of motion concepts, but I did think for the second consecutive game, at least in the second half, again, I was not particularly inspired by Florida's first half performance. And we can get more into that if you want to, Eric, but I thought in the second half, Florida spaced the floor very well. Um, and, and that's something that having two guys who can create their own shot, uh, makes this team so much different than in the past where in crunch time in particular, you know, Florida would so often isolate for Andrew Nimhart or isolate. I mean, shoot, the year they went, what, 22 and 13, lost to Texas Tech, they would isolate for Chris Chioza at the end of games quite frequently. And, you know, you'd see Chioza, like, think about how they won the Cincinnati game where Chioza backs down a defender and just makes a shot. Like, you don't have to do as much of that this year because Florida can space the floor. They've got two guys that can create off the bounce and and find guys. And defenses have to help a little more against Mann and Appleby than they did against Chioza and, and Nimhard. Although they had to help some off Nimhard because of his size. But – uh, I don't think as much when you're not worried about getting blown by. No, not at all. And 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 talking about the spacing, uh, I I think Florida looks so much better just in their kind of base motion offense now that they've changed to to really optimize it for for two bigs. And it's not even like they played Colin Castleton and Omar Payne together a bunch, but even with Osifo out there, and and even um, they had uh, they had Anthony Deruji playing more like a you know traditional power forward. We'll say. Um, I just think that Florida's Florida spacing looks so much better with the guy always in the dunker spot and then uh, and then a secondary player setting ball screens. And and I just think that it opens it up so much more for for the guards. And 
it just seems like once again, like the moment that Tyree Appleby gets a step on a guy or Trey Mann gets a step on a guy, uh, it just seems like you're instantly a scoring threat because it's not like, a, okay, now defenses have to find shooters. It's, oh, if there's a help defender and he's, he makes one step towards Tyree Appleby, um, oh, well, it's an alley-oop for, for Colin Castleton or Anthony DeRuji or Osifo or Omar Payne. Um, or uh, or so so you're seeing teams seems having to help out more, and that's when uh, because they're they're concerned about the dump off pass. Because what you're seeing is you know with with a player sitting in the dunker spot, it was like ball screen by Omar Payne, um, Osai Osifo's sitting in the dunker spot. So T- Trey Man gets a step. The player that was guarding Osai Osifo has to step in. Um, someone knows that help the helper. He comes to take away Osifo, and then that's a wide open three for Noah Locke. And and you're just not going to get those kinds of you're just not going to get that kind of those kinds of plays and, and that kind of spacing from, from going four out one in or, or going five out. So, uh, you know, early returns, I just think are, are really good. I really like the the changes that they made to just their motion principles. I really like the way they're spacing the floor and um, some people are going to look at it and it's, it's going to go in the, it's going to, it's, it's a little bit of the opposite direction of what like the NBA is doing and, and all these teams that just want to want to spread it out. But man, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't really care. This is, this is working for the Gators. I think it's more conducive to success in, in college basketball. And uh, yeah, I, I think moving forward as they get more comfortable with it, uh, it's only going to look better. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they'll be, um, what were they yesterday? Let's see. 15 <laughs> for 15 for 17. Um, that's what their three bigs were inside uh, 15 for 17 from the field. Florida had 54 points in the paint. Um, so it's just kind of mauled Georgia uh, in a way that it was funny. Like a week ago, they got mauled by Miss State, and a week later, they returned the favor in Athens to the Bulldogs. I don't know if, if Florida's going to be uh, – I, I, you know, and I, I'll say I'll go a step farther. Florida will not have a game where they are 15 for 17 inside again. Um, but – I mean, some of that is just changes the offense, and some of that is the blossoming of these uh, two guards. I mean, it's just harder and harder. You know, early in the season when Castleton was so effective, and we were talking about the growth that Trey Mann was making, and we were talking about how Tyree Appleby had these nice moments, but they were both still sort of getting acclimated to their roles, I think. Um, they're growing into them now, and it's getting harder to double. Uh, a guy like Castleton, it's you're getting more rim runner opportunities for for a kid like Omar Payne, who um, you know just played a fantastic game uh, yesterday, and you're seeing it pay dividends uh, in terms of you know just a vastly more efficient Florida offense, even when they're not particularly great or crisp in their sets, Eric. Yeah, that's really great when when offensive rebounding comes into play, um, when you can have a little bit of a rougher start to a game, but you just keep getting second and third third opportunities off the offensive class. That's pretty big. And man, it's just also so great to have like 40 minutes of, of confident center play because, man, it was it was scary these last couple of years when it was like Gorjok Gak with, you know, ACLs made of cabbage coming in the game or or or, or Isaiah Stokes, who you just uh knew he wasn't going to be able to guard anyone or, or Dante Bassett who worked so hard, but was just physically limited in the sec. It just, there was always going to be 10 minutes a game of, of probably inadequate center play. Um, and if Florida, if Kavarius Hayes picked up two fouls, it was like two fouls early. It was like, okay, this, this could get tough really quick. So it's just, uh, 
yeah, it's really great to have to have 40 minutes of, of really good center play. Two guys that can uh, can really block shots and, and change things at the rim, and um, two guys that offer some vertical spacing and and someone who you can throw an alley oop to. It's just uh, ah, it's 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 really good to see. And I also really did appreciate in transition um, those players just straight rim running, just straight running in a straight line from under Florida's hoop to uh, uh, to Georgia's hoop, and and Colin Castleton getting rewarded for it. Omar Payne got some deep seals where I thought he could have been hit. Um, he didn't, but I think you know you you watch that film um some of those passes will come come in future games uh but again i just think that was something that florida's transition attack lacked these these last couple of seasons was uh they didn't just simply have a big man that was running in a straight line and and forcing the defense to react to them um and it was just good to see some of those guys getting rewarded because uh uh, it's it's something that obviously everyone has been it's been dying for Florida to get some easy buckets in transition and um, sometimes your your bigs rim run you get a small player on you that you can seal uh, that's an easy way to get a transition bucket. Yeah, I'm imp- I'm impressed with Omar Payne's ability to seal the last couple of games. I think it's one sign of his improvement. And I wanted to ask you what you've seen in him that's so much different uh, the last two basketball games. But I did I did want to point out that I thought his rim running. And his ability to seal are better. He hasn't gotten called for his patented once a game moving screen uh, in a couple uh, games either. But, you know, he had a seal that led to an early Noah lock layup at the rim with Noah uh, looking like he was stuck in quicksand. But but eventually he got to the basket, Eric, and he put it in <laughs> um, because uh, Noah had a, a seal that, you know, a Kansas City Chiefs left tackle would have been proud of. Um <laughs> So, so what have you seen? I mean, you know, it didn't even show up how good his defense was on the stat sheet yesterday either. I, I thought he only he's only credited with two blocks. It felt like he altered ten more shots. I mean, I'm cer- I'm certain he had three. Um, watching it back, I'm certain he had three and like maybe a couple more. And then, like you said, uh, a lot more that he altered. So that's pretty impressive. And, and still, like, there was a couple, um, not as much this game, but the other day when he had five blocks, there was some that were, like, he had really, like, botched pick-and-roll coverage. And then he just, like, recovered for an incredible block. And it was like, oh, what an incredible defensive play by Omar Payne, which, like, it was. But, like, it was also caused by the fact that he um, played some poor defense. But it's also like, man, he can have <laughs> a poor defensive possession but then he's got the speed and the explosiveness and the the length to to recover and make a block. So so that's definitely great on the defensive end. I, I still think he is uh some of his reads defensively are, are a little bit slow. Sometimes I think that uh yeah, sometimes I think he just position wise, the the angles he takes on on pick and roll defense, which we might have to talk about because Florida's pick and roll defense is still awful. Um sometimes it's poor, but he does have that that makeup speed, I guess you'd call it if we're gonna keep with some some football analogies here, um, to to cover up mistakes. And and I mean, offensively, there were some times in the first couple of games where, you know, it was very quick for us to be like, oh, yeah, Colin Castleton is definitely the starting center for this team because uh, Payne didn't have some some great moments in the first couple of games. But um, some of that was like, you know, he'd fumble passes in the high post or he'd he'd be he'd get the ball in the high post and be be waiting for guys to 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 make reads and cut off it. And in doing so, would get doubled and, and make a bad pass out of it. Um and then you look at a game like this where it's like, hey, get deep seals, um, catch lobs, um, get on the offensive glass. And then suddenly he looks a lot better. So uh, I, I just don't think that Omar Payne's someone and maybe he will be this at some point. But right now, just not someone who I think you really want to play through. Not someone I think you want making key passes. Um, he's someone you want finishing plays with with dunks. And uh, again, I, I see that game and I, I think it was 
definitely great performance by him to embrace his role and, and do it really well. Uh, but that's kind of the case for, for Payne. I, I don't know if it was necessarily him changing anything from his game that that he wasn't doing earlier i just think hey you, you start to learn how to play off these really talented guards um the coaching staff doesn't put him in a position where he's got to make as many reads other than finish strong and and uh, he looks like a great player yeah no it's it's just nice to see the the improvement and the confidence and i'm curious as colin continues to, to we say recover from the the ankle injury, but he just put up 14 points yesterday in 18 minutes. I'm wondering if if they may keep Omar in the starting lineup uh, in spite of that. Florida basically with an eight-man rotation yesterday. You know, I thought Florida's defense, not just Omar Payne, much better in the second half, even if Florida was still kind of ragged against the zone in spurts. Uh, they held Georgia scoreless for uh, a six-minute and 40-second period. Um, in the second half, which seems odd because Georgia ends up with 45 points, right, um, in the second half, which was more than they got in the first half. But I thought Florida was a lot better defensively, particularly in the way that they uh, defended Xavier Wheeler, who um, had eight first-half assists but only two in the second half, and all four of his turnovers came in the second half. Yeah, Severe Wheeler, man, he can really pass the ball. And when uh, when Florida was sluggish in their transition defense, he uh, he knew how to punish it. So a uh, really good game for him. I mean, man, if he had some better players around him, I I just, again, you look at a game like this and I feel like if he had some better teammates around him, he could have had like 15 assists or something, just something crazy. But but yeah, ultimately, I, I thought when Florida was able to uh, to make it a half court game and, and not allow Georgia uh, Georgia to, to just score off the break. I thought that they, they suddenly looked a lot better. Um, I thought they, uh, yeah, they forced a lot of contested threes. That's always, uh, that's great. Um, Georgia wanted to put them up and, and Florida was, was there to get a hand up. And, uh, the other thing too, of course, is, uh, just in terms of, you know, the points in the second half, um, their offensive rating, um, definitely bolstered by the late game strategy of Tom Crean to, to continue to foul and, uh, and get quick buckets as, as Florida just didn't want to give up threes. So uh, that was a way to, to artificially, you know, and, and Florida's offense, you know, points per possession was uh, uh, getting, getting fouled so many times in a row. They were able to bump their points per possession and to point total. Uh, but as was, as was Georgia, which definitely makes that, uh, that second half total a little bit, uh, uh, not a true indication of how the second half went. Yeah, no, I thought, I mean, if, if you, that's just, if you just look at points, you would have thought, Oh, Florida didn't really defend anyone in the second half. Quite the contrary, that Florida was far better on that side of the ball uh, in the second half. Let, let's finish with this. You know, Florida's pick and roll defense, they continue to deploy this flat hedge. Uh, not really going that well, Eric. What would you do um, to fix it at this point in the season when you look at Florida's personnel? Well, of course, we talked that I would uh, well, both of us would love for them to drop pick and roll coverage um, because it's uh, one of pick and roll coverage that we think will work. It's also one that I think is a lot easier to institute than a lot of other changes. It's it's yeah. not like advocating for some crazy change in the way that um, or, or crazy or unrealistic way for them to change playing. Um, it's it's an easier way to play that. And it is mostly easier because it only involves or if it works well, only involves two players. It involves your player that's guarding the ball handler and your player involving the screener. And if you play it right, you go two for two and you have two players guarding two offensive players, um, which is um, a good way to uh, to go into how Florida is currently guarding pick and rolls um, with this flat hedge where uh, 
where Florida's big man is um, kind of walling off, taking away that initial drive, but it's not a very active way of, of guarding the pick and roll. So what you saw with, again, Severe Wheeler, who had 10 assists and looked like Chris Paul out there, um, was because it, it's not an active way to engage a ball handler. So, so the ball handler is coming down off the screen, and you've now, for a couple of seconds, got both your pick and roll ball handler defender. He's chasing, and you've got your big man flat hedging. So those two are engaging the ball handler. And because because of that, you need to involve a third player, your your tagger, a lot of people like to say in modern basketball, who is supposed to tag the roller. So he's now sitting in help side way over into the paint, um, while the other two players now not involved in the ball screen have to decide how they, can, between the two of them, can guard three shooters that are spacing the floor. So we just saw so many times. I tweeted these out. You can go look at my Twitter account to uh, to look at some some of the clips that I put together. But there were so many times where Severe, Severe Wheeler comes off a screen and um, he's not getting actively engaged by the defense so he dribbles it to pass the three-point line and then Noah Locke and I'm not calling Noah Locke out for this he did nothing wrong but he's now in a position where he's got to guard two shooters and he's got to try to zone and and split between the two defender or the two shooters and say like hey I've got to try to keep keep one of these guys from catching the ball that's nearly impossible to do and Florida just gave up open three after open three um so I'm just I'm just not a fan of that style of defense like I again I, I look at it and I'm like Trey Mann's not doing anything wrong Colin Castleton's not doing anything wrong. Um, some guys that are tagging, I will say, they did something wrong. When you're tagging a roller, you are trying to keep him from catching the basketball. Florida, and I honestly think this is my true, as close as I get to a psychological take on the podcast in my coverage, I think that because Florida switches so much, there's not as much of a, hey, we need to keep this player from catching the ball mentality because they're so used to, hey, we're, we're going to switch, player's going to catch the ball, we switch, we make it happen. So I just felt so many times where Florida's like taggers were there to like stand in the vicinity of the roller, but they never once actively tried to take away the roll pass. So you just got these deep seals um, from from their rolling big man um, to, against against Florida's tagging. So so I thought that Florida was very soft tagging on these uh, these flat ball hedge defenses, which I do think that is like an execution problem. Um, but just still like overall, I just, I just don't think it's a very, I just don't think it's a viable strategy at the high major level. I, I just, I don't like the strategy. I, I don't think this is the players sucking at ball screen coverage. I, I think it's a not great ball screen coverage that really good teams and really good players are, are going to pick apart. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't have a whole lot to add to that. I, I still think that they should drop it. A big reason that I think that as well is that it isn't as significant an adjustment and I don't think it disrupts, much of their their desire to switch in non against non pick and roll uh, type sets, Eric. So I think I think both of those are are reasons to to make a change. But what's clear is at this point, when you're still in the three hundreds and pick and roll defense halfway through conference play, uh, what you're doing isn't working. No, and I, I honestly, like, I didn't love that they were trying to hard hedge with Kerry Blackshear. Uh, but then I look and I'm like, well, Colin Castleton, when he first came to Michigan, John Beeline was a big hard hedge guy. And yeah. he looked really good in, in playing playing hard hedge. Um, and the thing, too, is if they truly want to keep their rotations, their help side rotations the same way, they could go back to hard hedging, which is a, I, I, I would call a difficult way to guard ball screen defenses. But I think it's something that, you know, they're, they're off off action rotations are still going to be the same with the way that they send help to the paint to tag the roller. Um, it'll still be the same, but the act of like actively hard hedging and, and trying to push 
um, push ball handlers back towards the center line instead of letting them just get so comfortable, dribble into the teeth of your defense, then find shooters. Uh, I, I think that would work. And, and one thing is really funny. Like I talked on the podcast uh, the other day um, regarding the fact that Florida is trying to limit three-point attempts defensively because they know they're high-value shots, but then they don't take away they, – they don't take a lot of threes themselves. So it's kind of funny to me because they know the shots are valuable. That's why they try to take them away. But then on the other side, Florida is taking the exact same shots that they're trying to make their opponents take. And I think, I think that's kind of funny. So on the other hand, I think it's quite funny that teams have had great success hard hedging Trey Mann and Tyree Appleby. And, and there's been some teams that have really been able to defend Florida's pick and roll well. And it's with the, the hard hedge. So I'm also like, it's also like, hey, like, if you see it working against you, doesn't it make you doesn't make you want to try it? And uh, we we just I, we know that Florida Mike White likes likes the hard hedge. Did it for a couple of years now. Um, I, I I would even find that better than what what Florida is doing right now. Yeah, no, I, I I do think that there there needs to be some sort of uh, some sort of change that's made, and and we'll see if they make one. Um, coming up this week when when they play Vanderbilt, and then uh, they're they go into the SEC Big 12 Challenge at, at West Virginia. But is there anything we before we dive into Vanderbilt that, that we missed on the Georgia game you want to get into? Uh, no, I don't think so. Other than one more one more correction, just that uh, Georgia was a very poor pick and roll uh, defensive team, and um, or sorry, pick and roll offensive team, and Florida three hundred tenth in the country in uh, in pick and roll defense. Um, but I just checked it now to. Uh, just to be uh, to be certain, um, that is the lowest of any high major team in the country. So you could call them three hundred tenth in the country, or you could call them the worst uh, the worst high major uh, pick and roll defense, whichever uh, whichever suits your fancy. But no, I think that is uh, that is all I have for the uh, for the Georgia game. So the Gators return home and they will play Vanderbilt Wednesday night in the early SEC Network game, six thirty. Um, look. The easy way to preview Vanderbilt would be to say they're terrible. I think that there's a lot more to it than that, Eric. And and this could be one of these situations where where you know we Eric and I uh, disagree a little bit. Who knows? Um, but let me explain that thought process. I, no team in the country other than Florida maybe has been impacted by uh, COVID stoppages more than than well Michigan State, I would say, but. Vanderbilt certainly highly impacted by COVID. Um, they've had some critical absences. I think there's some disappointment in Nashville because they had a pretty good March last year. If anybody could have a good March when most of March was canceled, the Commodores went two and one in March. Uh, most notably, they beat Alabama um, pretty handily, actually. Uh, and we all see what Alabama is this season with almost the same team. Um, but at the same time, you know, we we laughed last year at the NBA draft when we saw uh, Vanderbilt get players drafted on a team that went three and fifteen in conference play. One of those guys, Saban Lee, is with the Pistons now, um, and has actually started to play a little bit with Killian Hayes out. Uh, we will see how much that continues, but they still to me, kind of had this roster overall where you thought, hey, they won a couple games in March. Maybe year two under Jerry Stackhouse will be different. And then COVID hits, they've got all these stoppages, and they just really struggle, much like Georgia, to guard inside the paint. And uh, as a result, 
Um, just real frustrating times that boiled over Saturday, at least with Jerry Stackhouse addressing the media and just saying, you know, he was very upset with his team's effort and didn't know if any of them, uh, and he did not exclude a single player, uh, gave a damn about basketball, which is interesting. Um, so you can see, you know, one of Eric's long-term concerns as I'm rambling a bit has been how much do uh, guys that come from the NBA care? Uh, you know, I think Jerry Stackhouse is a guy that hates losing and uh, it's starting to grind on, grind his gears a bit, Eric. <laughs> yeah, I do have a long held. Um, I'm worried about worried about uh, uh, NBA guys getting hired. Like when uh, when Mike Miller, you know, just goes right into assistant coaching. I'm kind of like, man, I don't know. I don't know how he, how much he wants to, you know, be grinding in the gym and, and facing tough practices after bad losses. I will say Jerry Stackhouse, he's a guy who's, who's bided his time, NBA G league assistant in the NBA. Um, so I kind of view him in a little bit of a different light because it's not like X player right out of the NBA, right. go hire him as a coach. Um, he's, he has some, you know, he's got some experience behind the bench before he came to Vanderbilt. So, so I do see him in a little bit of a different light, but man, um, Stackhouse has, has made a lot of money. Um, he's, uh, uh, these, these coaches checks are, 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 are great, but, uh, uh, I always just wonder, yeah, when things are tough for the, I guess, second year in a row for him, um, how long does he want to, to, to stick this kind of thing out? But, uh, uh, man, like, again, I do look at their roster and I, you know, it's like Scotty Pippen is, is a fantastic scorer. Uh, Trey Thomas, the little point guard who shot the lights out against Florida. He looks like a good young player. I mean, Maxwell Evans uh, seems to be, you know, like, I, I don't know what you want to say. Like, he's definitely shown shown some games like he did against Arkansas. Um, he was one guy who played pretty well and 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 kind of showed that he was, a, you know, a decent role player. And then uh, Dylan DeSue, I thought he was, uh, he showed against Florida that he's a very, he's a very capable um, capable SEC player is only a sophomore, and uh, I do look at their team and like. Not that I'm suggesting that they should be better, or or I sorry, I shouldn't say. I'm not suggesting that they should be a lot better, but I mean, I do look at their their team and I'm like, oh, Miles Stu, there's a you know, there's a freshman I wouldn't mind being on Florida's roster, uh, but uh, but man, they just you know they don't seem to uh, don't seem to ever put it together, um, and that's you know that kind of predates even Stackhouse. Um, I thought even under, under drew that they were, you know, better than a team that like went two years without winning an sec game. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know, maybe it's effort. Maybe it's not caring about basketball. I kind of doubt that these players, um, don't care about basketball. Um, I don't know if they, uh, if they were so concerned with academics and, and just wanted to casually play basketball, I would suggest a conference other than, than the sec. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. That was definitely uh, some kind of an outburst. Well, it was just interesting because this is a program that went from having a top 10 recruiting class, which was the best recruiting class since they've done services. And here's a, here's a wild fact. Not a single member of that recruiting class won an SEC game or was on the floor for an SEC win. That's just astonishing to me. Um, so... Yeah, there you go with, with that group. Um, and, you know, and of course their luck got even worse with Aaron E. Smith. I say he wasn't on the floor for an SEC win. He would have been the one to, to, to get that done. But um, he stress fracture ends his season. He goes in the NBA draft, obviously an electric shooter. Uh, Darius Garland looks like he's going to be a freshman All-American for four games. Uh, and not a freshman All-American, just an All-American. And they look spectacular with him. And then he gets hurt, and uh, 
So it's just been rough times there. And now they're kind of over, they go from that group with multiple McDonald's All-Americans and, and all of that to, to kind of overhauling the program. And I think the biggest thing I see when I watch them is that they can score. Uh, they scored enough to, to push Kentucky at Rupp Arena. They scored enough to really make things interesting at home against Mississippi State, a tough team to score against. Um, but they can't defend, um, Eric. You know, their best defender is probably Cleavon Brown, which tells you something because Cleavon Brown is playing about 15 minutes a game, should probably play more than that uh, if we're nitpicking with Stackhouse. But he's coming off, you know, a reconstructive knee surgery. And when your best defender is coming off a reconstructive knee surgery, yeah, maybe that's a little problematic. Scotty Pippen. Uh, you would think, you know, if you when you hear Scottie Pippen, you might think defense. Uh, not if you hear Scottie Pippen Jr. I think he's probably the worst defensive guard in the SEC. Uh, just a guy that, that Florida should be able to eat alive, and certainly they did in the first meeting. Um, you know, so it's not – they don't have much depth in terms of their bigs either. They're 342nd in the country in block percentage. Uh, just very, very poor defensively at the rim. Another game where Florida's too big lineup might be able to feast, Eric. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Um, I, <laughs> I, well, yeah, you know, you, you look at a game like this, and, and again, I, I still feel like Florida is in the process of still figuring out exactly how they're, they're going to play. And again, I mean, you look at the talent of, of Florida, I know they haven't necessarily gotten the best out of it, but when you look at a team against Vanderbilt, I, I think like – Again, you've you've seen in the past, Florida has has looked at teams like Georgia or then Vanderbilt, and then they've been like, okay, they're they're small, so we're going to play with them. If you're the better team with more talent, you've got to be the team. You've got to dictate the pace here. So if you want to play two bigs, like play two bigs against Vanderbilt, don't worry about how you're going to match up with their trash front court. They should have to worry about matching up with you. So so I hope that Florida goes at it and and uh, they they have accelerated the the amount of minutes that they are going to play two bigs last couple of games and I. I hope it continues. And um, then your next game, like you said, after that is, is, uh, is against West Virginia, who's got some good bigs. So uh, you want to be ready for that game. This is an opportunity to get those two bigs out there together, um, figure it out. And uh, yeah, I, I think generally too, the one of the things with Vanderbilt, I think too, is the fact that Stackhouse in like maybe typical NBA fashion, um, they just like don't really play zone ever. I think he probably doesn't have much experience with it. Um, which is pretty funny. I was, I was listening to, uh, I was in a, uh, kind of, I guess like a, a zoom master class, this coaching thing the other day. And, and there was an NBA assistant and he was talking about how, um, uh, for one of his game, he went, I forget which, um, it was like a MIAC team that he went to go be an assistant at like an HBCU. And he was talking about how, uh, he'd be in the NBA for a number of years. Um, and he, uh, and then, uh, he went and, uh, you know, the first game and a team comes on a three, two zone. And he's like, man, I, you know, for the last six years in the NBA, I haven't, He's, he's like, I've never seen a 3-2 zone before because he coached in the NBA. And I kind of wonder with Stackhouse, I mean, like, I don't want to suggest he is incapable of coaching a zone. That's obviously not true, but he definitely seems reluctant to. Um, one thing I'm looking forward to seeing is, you know, they're going to drop pick and roll coverage. They're going to do that NBA scheme. Yeah. And we'll see. And, and I mean, Neil, you mentioned it earlier, the fact that uh, they do have some talented scores. And um, they were a team that uh, that really kickstarted my, oh, gosh, 
Florida is awful at guarding pick and rolls because they really picked apart Florida's pick and roll defense. Um, I forget exactly the number of points they put up. I know I tweeted it out, so it's somewhere there, but I know Florida really struggled to guard the pick and roll against Vanderbilt. Um, their pick and roll defense has not gotten any better. So uh, there's a chance that Vanderbilt uh, Vanderbilt really is, is able to score on Florida. So the Gators are going to have to be able to, to score on them on the other end. Yeah, no, I think it's a dangerous game, and I know nobody wants to hear me say that, and I've spent a lot of time trashing Vanderbilt's defense because they're just bad at it. I mean, they're 260th in effective field goal percentage. Uh, they don't block shots. Uh, they can't protect the rim. But but as Eric said, they've got some guys that can really score. Scotty Pippen, I think, might be one of, other than Cameron Thomas, I don't think there's a better pure scorer in the SEC. That, that would include... Uh, you know, Trey Mann, he can really score. Miles Stude, a guy that Florida recruited pretty pretty heavily to the end. Um, he can really shoot it. He's 13 of 30 from deep uh, this season. And, and his minutes are increasing, uh, you know, because he is one of the guys that they think will blossom into a really good defender, um, shooting 44% from deep on, on a decent number of looks. Dylan DeSue shooting 38%, probably a little bit better. And, and he's a guy that, you know, I don't know what you think of, of Pippen long-term, but I think Dylan is a guy who's probably a pro. Uh, the closest thing they have to, to, you know, a guy that, that might be a pro right away, Eric. Um, and, and his strength is, is on the offensive end. So, you know, kind of a dangerous game for Florida, especially because, you know, we don't talk too much psyche stuff, but typically when a team – that likes their coach, which by most accounts, Stackhouse is a player's coach, just gets annihilated by their coach, they, they respond in a big way. Uh, we saw how Florida responded against Tennessee last week. Um, you know, and, and this is a Vanderbilt team that beat LSU last year, that beat Alabama last year. They have these random games. Florida needs to score to avoid being that. Uh, yeah, this it would just be a pretty heartbreaking one. Um, we keep talking about, hey, can you carry that momentum on from from Tennessee? Uh, did they do it against Georgia? Uh, I, I don't think they took a step forward. Uh, that's that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but hey, if you can uh, really take care of business against against Vanderbilt, uh, you have the opportunity to get a really good uh, resume win in the Big Twelve SEC Challenge. Um, I, I mean, hey, it is it is it is way too early to talk bracketology. Um, but we're going to talk bracketology here for a second. Uh, I, I mean, Florida right now is like on the right side of the bubble in most people's way too early brackets. Um, but man, like a, a win against a win against West Virginia would uh, uh, would certainly bump that uh, very nicely. So so again, I look at a game against Vanderbilt. Obviously, you want to do whatever it takes to win that game. It's not like let's go, you know, run it like it's a scrimmage and, and run your practice stuff. But again, I just think that if Florida looks long term and they think that playing two bigs is, is going to be their way to win, which I very much personally think could could be what it takes for them to to reach their ceiling. I just I hope that they go they go against Vanderbilt and, and they do it. If if they think that pressing is going to be their their strategy moving forward, I personally don't think it is. But if they if they think it is, they should be they should be pressing. I mean um this is this is your opportunity to to get ready a little bit and and hopefully hammer a, a Commodores team. Yeah, I mean Florida just got a quad two uh, w against georgia so that people are aware like vanderbilt's net ranking is 192 Ooh. so i mean you know i hate eric and i have spent a lot of time previewing huge games on the podcast against like really good teams and it's weird because this season it seems like all these games vanderbilt georgia 
like the urgency in our previews is about those games. <laughs> and and some of that speaks to, you know, Mike White has slayed some dragons the last couple of years, and Florida has collected some big wins uh, really since the Elite Eight season. I mean, again, I think I mentioned this on at least three podcasts, but, you know, they had a season a few years ago where they led the country in quad one wins, Eric. It's these games where the consistency of the program is defined. Oh, that's a that's a great way to put it. And uh, I, I think even, too, you look at Georgia, where uh, I was maybe a little bit surprised to see that Quez Glover didn't get in the game. I thought he played pretty well the, the game prior. Um, and the fact that they did go to a pretty tight uh, eight-man rotation. Um, is, as much as we, we talk about how uh, it seems like Florida is still trying to find a way to win, uh, it, I do kind of like that they seem to be zeroing in on on a on a lineup uh, or in a tight eight man rotation, and that's not anything against the guys that were not in that eight man rotation. Um, in fact, I do think that there's going to be games where Samson Rusensev is going to be helpful. I think there's certainly going to be games where Niles Lane's defense would be helpful, and and Quez Glover had an awesome game two games ago, and and maybe that comes back returns another time too. But um, I. I, I feel like even inherently playing playing those eight guys and, and playing Trey Mann for 39 minutes, uh, I, I feel like that that is showing some urgency from 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 Coach White, and, and he knows that he's got to take care of business, and he's he's rolling with the guys he trusts. So, um, yeah, we I, I feel like uh, I, again we Florida has already taken some some questionable losses, getting hammered. You know, is one of those things where they get hammered by Kentucky, and it's like, oh, maybe that win is going to end, or sorry, that loss is going to look not as bad as it did at the time. Um, well. Maybe it is going to look just as bad as it did at the time because Kentucky <laughs> is, uh, doesn't look to be turning a corner, um, except they beat LSU, who was uh, maybe uh, turning a corner in the wrong direction. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, like, like you said for the for the consistency of the program, for the uh, um, the confidence of of these players. Uh, yeah, this is just a game where I just hope we're podcasting afterwards, talking about a, a nice double digit win. Yeah, and I'd like to be talking about an offense that has crept into the top twenty in. Uh... Kim Palm efficiency because those would be rarefied times in the Mike uh, White era, and they'd be doing it, Eric, without uh, without Keontae Johnson, obviously. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's that's definitely what it, what is Florida at right now? I haven't looked since twenty twenty first. Okay, now here's the problem. I'm going to Florida was probably going to need to be fairly robust against Vanderbilt's. What are they in Ken Palm defense in the one 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 fifty something? I'm gonna guess. Do you have it oh, in front of you? Oh God, it's worse than that, my friend. Oh. They are they are they are 198th in Ken Palm defense. Ooh, so Florida will probably have to put up another like one point one five ish. Uh, here's my very off the top of the head Ken Palm guess, but they're gonna have to have a pretty robust offensive game against a bad defense to jump up in Ken Palm. But um. Hey, for a, for a coaching staff that for so many years, the, the question was, will they ever learn to uh, get their teams to score? Um, will they ever become a good offensive team? That was the question up until, um, well, I, I mean, some people were still asking at the end of last season. I thought the numbers really showed that Florida was a good offensive team last season. Uh, but some people were still kind of wondering, but hey, if you're able to say, hey, we're a top 20 offensive team in, in Ken Palm, um, that'll matter to some people. And and hey, I, I do think they deserve credit because yeah, they, they spent a couple of years trying to figure out how to score. And um, it's looking like it's uh, it's getting that way. It's getting there, and the defense is back in the top 50, despite being uh, – just imagine if they could defend the pick and roll properly, right? Oh, yeah. Assuming in the podcast with the, with the jab, why not? Uh, we will be back to preview the SEC Big 12 Challenge uh, and, and a really fun one um, with Florida and West Virginia. 
kind of a different West Virginia team. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that show already, but got to take care of business Wednesday first, Eric. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it. Neil, Neil, one last question for you, which you sure. might not know the answer to. Um, SEC historical question. Uh, is, is Vanderbilt one of the like OG SEC schools or when did they join the SEC? Obviously, they're, uh, they're looking like a little bit of, uh, they, they definitely stand out academically from uh, some of the <laughs> other schools in the, in, the, in the league. So is, uh, And as you see them struggling in basketball and uh, definitely have the deck stacked against them in, in football, are they, are they like an OG SEC team or what's the deal there? So they're not an OG, but they came in when another, like, I think they came in when another longtime academic standout in Georgia Tech departed or in and around that time. And so, like, the league lost Georgia Tech as, like, this academic bellwether. Vanderbilt is there. Obviously, Florida is a, is a wonderful school, too, um, but, but not quite in the tier that Vanderbilt is in. And so, I mean, that's Vanderbilt's thing. What's so interesting is, you know, like Vanderbilt is historically a good basketball program, and it is historically uh, a great baseball program, and it remains a great baseball program. But the basketball program is in shambles. The deck is stacked against them in, in football, which I don't think it should be, but that's for a sat <laughs> another Saturday Down South podcast. Uh, you know, where we can talk about how if Northwestern can win, I think Vanderbilt should be better. But, um, <laughs> but you know, yeah, that's a great question. And, and I don't know. I don't think anything will ever happen with Vanderbilt uh, because of what they bring academically. But, you know, certainly there's a couple programs that have to get fixed. And, and we're all pulling for Jerry Stackhouse. Uh, but, but it's certainly off to a rough start in, in this season. Hey, they had likable coaches. I mean, like, you know, Bryce Drew, um, he's, he was likable, I think. And uh, yeah, just definitely a tough, I just, I just was very interested at in the, uh, the history. And I thought you might know Kevin Stallings, not likable. I'm glad he's. Out <laughs> but, uh, uh, so, but yeah, anyways, that was, yeah, that was my SEC question. I was just interested and you had a good answer. So did he not know that Georgia Tech, I did not know that Georgia Tech was in the SEC. I am no SEC historian. So uh, thank you for that, uh, that, that tidbit there. Oh, no problem. You don't think that getting into a fight on the sidelines with Joe Kim Noah makes you like him? Oh, no. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Stallings is so – no, I mean, just kidding. I, I do think as much as I liked Stackhouse and thought it was a creative hire and, and praised it both to you and, and on Blake Lovell's podcast, uh, I, you know, I thought they panicked when they fired Bryce Drew um, a little bit. Uh, I thought like so many things went wrong. I thought I was, I was kind of surprised. I was like, really? Whoa, it's crazy. But uh, it's just what happens when you change athletic directors sometimes. We'll see. We'll see if Jerry can get it going. I do think that the roster is moving in the right direction. Yeah, I know. Like I said, they've got some good players. But uh, yes, I've dragged on the podcast long with my <laughs> SEC historical question. But thank you. That was, that was yeah, big Saturday down south moment for you, Neil. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. All right, everybody, we will be back, uh, and, and thanks for listening.